Hello, welcome back. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Emily. We're the executive directors and co-founders of ATX TV. And you're listening to the TV Campfire. This week and coming up through the end of 2021, we're releasing exclusive and original conversations from our Season 10 Festival that premiered in June 2021. Please enjoy this week's release and tune in both here and on youtube.com backslash ATXTV for even more TV goodness. Without further ado, here's this week's TV Campfire episode from Season 10 of ATX TV Festival. Enjoy. Hi, y'all. I'm Jennifer, Director of Programming for ATX, and thank you so much for tuning in to Season 10. It is officially Pride Month, so I did want to start out by saying Happy Pride to our LGBTQIA plus family, and also I promise we will not be selling you any rainbow merch at the end of this. Um, in all seriousness, as a queer person myself, I could not be more delighted that we have essentially assembled the Avengers of queer storytelling for this conversation. TV's history with queerness and the way that it intersects with race, disability, and so many other areas is complicated, to say the least. But every single one of these panelists has contributed in major ways to putting queerness front and center. If you have not seen their shows, please add them to your watch list. You will thank us later. Before we get started, just a friendly reminder to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ATX Festival and tweet about your favorite panels using hashtag TV for all. You may have also noticed Robbie, our interpreter, who will be signing for us throughout this conversation. We're very grateful to have him here. And finally, I'd like to welcome Jim Halterman, our wonderful moderator from TV Guide Magazine, who will be taking over to introduce our guests. Welcome, Jim. Hey, thank you for having me. All right. So thanks to everybody at the ATX Television Festival, Jen, Emily, the whole gang will be there next year. But right now, I'm glad the festival's continuing virtually. And for the Queer Gays panel, I'm, I'm not going to jump into a big intro because I think we have so many great people on this panel. We're just going to dive into introductions. So let's do it. Um, first up, he's the co-creator, showrunner, executive producer, and actor on the Sundance Now series, This Close. Please welcome Josh Feldman. Yay. Hey, Josh. And he's directed many an episode of the Apple Plus series Dickinson. Please welcome Silas Howard. There he is. Hi, Silas. And he's the showrunner, writer, and executive producer on Hulu's Love, Victor, Brian Tannen. Hey, Brian. How you doing? And she's producer, director on the own drama series, Queen Sugar, Lisa France. Hey, Lisa. And last but not least, she's a friend of the ATX Television Festival and creator, showrunner, writer, executive producer, and director of the star series, Vita, Tanya Sorato. Hey, Tanya. Hey, this is such an exciting panel. Um, and welcome, everybody, and happy Pride Month. I want to get the conversation started by just asking about the queer gaze. And I feel like we all know what that is, but we may all approach it a little differently based on our own experiences. So I'm curious, uh, Tanya, I'm going to throw it to you first, just put you on the spot. You know, how conscious or not conscious is making sure a queer voice is in your work? It's, I, I, especially for Vida, it became the most important thing. Uh, we, we shot this one sex scene the second season. And when um, my DP who was um, operating was queer and my first AD, my second AD, 
me, the actresses, it, it like, it created this sort of shorthand that we were like, this is how it should be. And it's undeniable that it's uh, our gaze, you know? So like it, um, it, and then that was like a standard sort of, uh, cause also the writer of the, of, of that scene had been that, but it, 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 um, at first we were trying to define what does it mean, you know? Um, and, I feel like as long as you center it with enough of, of the people in leadership at the helm of the vision, it, it sort of can be whatever it is, our gaze. Like we don't have to like define it like, like academically, like, you know, how the, the male gaze is defined in piecemeal, whatever, whatever those definitions are. So I, I, I think that that's important in, for any other eyes, marginalized identity to like sort of center the person at the helm or the people at the helm. Um, and then it just becomes right. And the, the right gaze, and it can be uh, all sorts of things. It, can, it doesn't have to be limiting, you know? Yeah. Brian, Brian, talk about love Victor a little bit, um, which, you know, I don't think any of these shows could be considered a gay show. They're just great shows that have gay characters, gay themes. Um, but can you talk about with love Victor, how you guys were able to shape that? Because, there's so many other things going on in the show, but yes, it's about a teenager who's, you know, kind of figuring out his sexuality. Yeah. So it's a really interesting question because, you know, for the number of years I've worked in television, I've never worked at a show where the protagonist, where the main character was queer. So, um, so that was like a really sort of special and unique experience for me. And then the other piece to, um, making the show it's an interesting challenge is that the character is a teenager so you know in season one we were um trying to write this show about a teenager discovering his sexuality and uh the show was um it was ordered by disney plus and that network is uh, sort of uniquely geared towards families and towards kids and um, the concept of a show about a kid figuring out his sexuality and what that network are trying to do were sometimes at odds. Um, because even though the network is actually very pro uh, LGBT issues um, and the Disney Corporation as a whole, um, that specific uh, streamer was finding its identity as this family friendly, uh, kid oriented network. And I don't think specifically that it was about gayness that was uh, worrisome, but the idea of the gays, the sexuality as being part of it, right? And in the Disney cartoon, the, the sexiest thing that happens is the prince and the princess kiss at the end and, and you never see them, you never see what happens next, <laughs> right? And so this is about a teenager with horny feelings who's staring at boys and, and figuring out, that's how you figure out you're gay. These stirrings happen and sex and sexuality was a, was a tricky thing. Um, eventually the show ended up moving to Hulu uh, where um, we're just taking full advantage of that now and leaning into the idea of the teenage experience being a sexual one. Um, not intuitively so, just like, what these feelings are when you're 16 years old and you're figuring them out. So I don't know, it was, it was really um, interesting first time experience for me to be writing about this stuff and, and really gratifying as well. Yeah, um, I wanna jump to Josh um, with this close. I love the series so much. It, to me, it's so much about this friendship and I love what they both go through in the show. 
but your character is gay and he's, you know, going through relationship things. But can you talk about shaping the show and making sure that was just as strong as a, a point of the show, as much as their friendship, as much as being deaf, all of those things? Absolutely. I think with my character, I really wanted to create something that was somebody who was like me, both deaf and gay, but many other things as well. Um, but it came to a point, like the character comes to a point in his life where he's already come to terms with his sexuality, his family, his friends already know about his identity. So it was never like a problem that had to be addressed, which is a good thing because my character has many other problems that he's got to address. So like, I hate to use the phrase normalize, but in, in many ways we did normalize his gay identity. Like his problems were, you know, being deaf in a hearing world rather than on the list of characters and the character traits, like being gay was really low on the totem pole in terms of like the ones that were big six. And that's kind of how we, we approached it. Okay. Lisa, um, with Queen Sugar, it, you know, Nova's sexuality, I, I, I think was really dealt with earlier and it wasn't really even dealt with. It was just kind of a matter of fact thing about her mm -hmm. character and every there was no coming out. Everybody in her family knew. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that? I don't. I don't know where, if you were involved with any of those decisions, but just the fact that you know it, it was just a part of the show and about her character. You know, it's so great that um, it is not pronounced. It's not like, oh, hey, Nova's coming out as bi, or uh, or she has a girlfriend and everyone's freaking out in town. Um, I really love the way that Ava and Anthony and all the other writers they just said, hey, this is a character. She's very free. She's very open. She doesn't like labels in the first place. It's not, she's a very cool, her character in general is very complicated. Uh, she straddles a bunch of different lines in life and she is unapologetically herself. And I love that. And this season coming up is going to have some very interesting um, conversations around sexuality, fluidity, um, what does it mean to be intimate? What does it mean to be affectionate with um, the same sex? What is, you know, why do we have to label it? Why do we have to call it something? And there's um, a relationship that happens throughout season six, which I'm very proud of um, the way it was handled. And um you know, I, my fiance's we're, we're, you know, she's a woman we're, we've been together for whatever, almost eight years now. And, um, you know, it's it, when we were reading it and I showed her my cut, I just finished actually, it's extremely touching. It's so touching. And I think I love that Ava allowed this particular, um, beautiful, beautiful story. Like, I think one of the lines, I don't want to give too much away here, but one of the lines basically is um, something about, you know, you don't know what I am. And by the way, it doesn't matter. And I don't need you to protect me regardless of what I am. I don't need you to tell me that who I am is okay. And it's such a beautiful and amazing moment in the series. I, I can't wait for people to see it. And then, you know, also Ava is so inclusive in general, you know, to speak to something that Tanya just said about, you know, the Helmers, the people at the front, you know, we have like the last season, season five was directed by all queer women. 
So <laughs> she put the lesbians in charge. <laughs> and it was funny. We were, there were only three of us. And she, I don't think she really realized. She was like, oh yeah, that's so cool, you know? So, and, and there was no one on set. So it was just us. And I think our sensitivity to a lot of the um, subject matter, which if you watch season five, it was a, there was a little bit of something for everyone. And um, while we didn't necessarily touch specifically on the queer gays at, at large, the whole show was run by two, th three lesbians, <laughs> which I felt, um, you know, when you've been ostracized because you're other or discriminated against, I do believe that you have a sensitivity to things. Um, you know, Lauren's Jewish, Sierra's black, I'm a blend. We just have a certain sort of, um, I think we all were very sensitive to the Black Lives Matter issue, the COVID scenario, which we, it's a time capsule of what we all went through last year. And I think there's something for everyone in it. Um, there's, uh, if you lost someone, if you had a, wanted to have a wedding, if you got sick, if someone in your family got sick, if you were devastated by what happened with George Floyd's death and Breonna Taylor's death, if you, if you lived in that you, and you felt <laughs> during that time, which I think we all did, um, you will, we got to lead that charge. Three queer women got to lead the charge in that conversation. And I think because we have been otherized, I like that, Tanya, the way you said that, um, I do think that we were able to give a great deal of sensitivity and thought to what we did. And that wasn't the plan for season five, right? It was like, no. you guys, Ava stepped in and kind of like, we have to just change this because the world around us had changed so much in a short amount of time. Yeah, I was, I started directing episode two. We were in the middle of a giant, kind of a big giant episode, really. A lot was going to happen. And uh, my episode got hit by a COVID truck and we all went home <laughs> and uh, she decided, and I think quite bravely um, to rewrite the entire season to take place in present time. And as a result of that, we were literally getting pages sometimes the day of because she was trying to stay current. And she and Anthony, just the two of them really rewrote the entire season. And it was, um, it was challenging <laughs> for us. And it's, it's really quite an epic and beautiful season. If I do say so myself. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Um, Silas, I think Dickinson is the only period piece that we're talking about today, but is does that change things as far as the queer gaze, just because the time is so different there where, you know, we're so used to seeing, you know, glances across the room, but, you know, back in those days, it wasn't as accepted or even people didn't know to do that, I guess. Yeah, but yeah. Talk, can you talk about that? Sure. I mean, I would just add that prior to Dickinson, <clears throat> also just the queer gaze, my, I'm so queer, I just think of G-A-Y-S, I'm just like, the queer gays, like, <laughs> um, anyway, I've just, uh, you know, my first show was Transparent, I was on Pose as a producing director, I did Tales of the City, and uh, Faking It, and like, just so many queer shows, I feel like, what an incredible thing, because I came from indie, um, and did a, you know, a film by Huckerback Crook that was showing trans representation, but not talking about it, like, I think, 
the thing about it's beautiful about centered stories is you don't have to explain yourself, you know, because you're the center of the story. Because we realize so many things are construct, race and gender and 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 being outsiders, you know, we we are all the center of our own stories. And so when we center them, we get to we get to actually everyone gets to connect. You know, we all grew up with movies that didn't have anything to do with our lives and we connected if they were good stories. And so that math works the other way around. So there's all these yeah. stories that when they truly get centered, get to reach so many people. And, um, and that means you have more than one in a show. There's like relationships and they're, you know, they're interact, you know, interacting with Pose. It was like, you know, to be able to see the relationships between those women fully, you know, uh, rendered, which is the messiness, you know, you can be messy, you can be messy with humor. Anything that has no humor that has outsider culture is like a sign to me that, that it's from outside of it, you know, because humor is a byproduct absolutely of surviving. Um, you know, I came of age in the in the last pandemic, and so it really was a very unsubtle time about being queer. And people looked at you like you're gonna, like you should be, you know, put in a camp or you're gonna give people AIDS. And it, I think for this my generation, it was like we were kind of raised in it, so it gave us this feeling of urgency. And I've always felt that way about storytelling. I never thought I would see this much queer storytelling in TV. You know, so yeah, yeah I just never, I just never thought that would happen. So it's been a exciting to see TV break into us <laughs> and uh, start to find all of the really exciting stories. And there's so many. Um, and then with Dickinson, it's, I think both Pose and Dickinson and even Transparent season three or season two, when it looks at the Holocaust and the queer and trans people um, during that time, we're recovering history that was, that, that's, that our culture is built on, but we don't have access to. And so, you know, Pose did that as well. So, you know, what, what society does will take all the good stuff, all the art and comedy and everything that's a byproduct of, of, of being outside of uh, mainstream acceptance, but usually leave the trauma narrative. And so it's been amazing to see with Dickinson, this recovered, you know, history of, of Emily in love with Sue, her brother's wife, which is also very dramatic. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's hot. Uh, sorry, it's, hot. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. It's so hot. You read the poems and you're just like, yeah, it's pretty yeah. clear what's going on here. It does not take, but society will deny everything. You can watch yeah. Yeah. village people, Boy George or Freddie Mercury, you know, prancing under a, a big neon sign that says queen. And still they'll like, you know, do sports anthems to it. So just like this denial, <laughs> this sort of like seeing what they want to see. And um, so it's been, it's been amazing because, you know, we're set in the civil war this season. I was in, I'm a EP and producing director this season. So we were writing this uh, season set in the Civil War while the Capitol building is getting, you know, while all of this stuff is going on. And Lynn Nottage was in the room and Z-Way who plays the role. She's amazing. She plays Sojourner Truth in the season. But um, it's such a, it was such a like therapy to wake up and go to the writer's room, um, even though it was on Zoom, because it was looking at the past as present that this country has not been honest with itself. So of course it continues to repeat things. It continues to be, hijacked by pathological liars. It's, you know, if we cannot tell the truth, we are just a bit doomed to change anything. And so, and the queerness, I mean, last season I directed episode where Emily and Sue just have sex all over the house because the family's out. And it's like, but it's 1860s. <laughs> we did this one shot where it's just like all the clothes that have to come off before you can have sex. And that air is epic, really epic. And um, the fans are so committed to the queerness and the kids are so queer. I feel like as, as a, a person of the early nineties kind of re reaching for those politics, they're really mainstreaming them and they kind of have a grasp of, you know, people get to be their own self and we can ask questions and 
be curious and confusion is good and, and, and a party and not something to be shamed about. So yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, people have asked, do you feel pigeonholed? And I'm like, no, because everything, I only want to tell queer stories, to be honest. And uh, <laughs> so it doesn't feel like a pigeonholing, but also it's just about people and we're not a monolith. There's so many kinds of stories within that umbrella term that it's, um, it's, it's endless. So I don't know if I answered your question, but. Uh, you did, thoroughly, yeah. <laughs> but it's really, uh, it is interesting to look at, you know, the past and we, you know, things have always been here. It's just been hidden. We reenacted um, this bar called Fafs that uh, Walt Whitman used to go to in the 1860s. That was a bohemian queer bar in New York and a beer cellar. There's like a place, you know, and it's, it's documented and it was really powerful. And the, and the, and the bartenders would wear just aprons. That's it with like no pants. Yeah. And it's like Wilson Street Fair, but 1860s. So it's amazing. I didn't know about this until this season. So yeah, yeah. There's a lot I there. Yeah, I love all that. Um, I, I want to ask. You know, a lot of a lot of times I ask all of you about the audience and you know who you're writing for and who you're conscious who you're writing for. And we're all queer people here. But how much do you think about the straight audience member? With you know, I don't know if it comes into your thinking at all, if it should, if it needs to, but um, does anybody want to jump in on that? Um, I'm just curious what your thoughts are because, audience, you know, we're also educating straight people that may not know about gay life. You know, I thought about when Queer Folk was out or looking shows like that that were very gay. Um, but does that enter any of your consciousness when you guys are creating? Anybody that wants to jump in? Lisa, I can ask you or anybody else? Yeah, I, I mean, it enters my mind because, you know, I mean, I'm sure all of us have our coming out stories. My mother still is like, you know, maybe I'll go to your <laughs> wedding if you have one. Yeah. I mean, please, mom, oh my God, get over it already. Um, I, I, I thought about it a lot this year because of this particular story. And I thought about words that I thought if maybe my mom, if she hears this, it will, you know, wake her up or maybe if she hears the, or sees this particular bit of stupidity coming out of a straight character's mouth and how unloving it sounds uh, and how discriminatory it sounds. And so my mom's a devout Catholic. So if she hears how un Jesus like this sounds, maybe it will speak to her and, and my other, you know, I don't really have any friends that are, um, anti-gay or homophobic or any of that. I don't, I still have friends that don't think they're racist though. And it's hilarious, uh, they, they're hilarious. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I sort of just, that's another thing to break down. But, you know, I don't, I'm sure I have friends that still think, you know, it's not for me, but that's okay if you wanna do it. Like, you know what I mean? I, I still have those, but so this year in particular, I did me personally, cause I was the producing director. So I, this, this storyline travels the entire season. And so I definitely thought about it a lot about how is this going to be perceived? Um, I do think, cause I, I am, I'm not going to lie. I am on a mission to convert everyone to just being love, love beings. I want everyone on the planet to be a lovebian. So yes, I officially can say I am a, I am hyper vigilant in wanting to convert everybody to being anti-racist, anti-homophobic, anti-Semitic, anti like, you know, just 
anti anything that's mean. Like if you're mean, you need to go, you know, <laughs> like that's yeah. so, so yes, I do. I think about it. I you know, think about it about with racism, about, you know, misogyny with people with disabilities. I made an entire movie about a man who pushed his wheelchair across the United States, a documentary called roll with me. So, you know, when I, see you know shows or movies or tvs with people with disabilities i always i'm hypersensitive to anyone being cruel or nasty or insensitive so i mean that's just me personally but yeah uh josh let me ask you with, with this close you were telling you know one one lead character was straight one was gay there's an episode where there's you know a four-way that audiences are watching can you can you talk about that and thinking about oh what's what's a straight audience member going to think when we see this <laughs> which it's a great scene i loved it um but can you talk about that a little bit and just thinking about who's watching that scene i guess like we call that actually a 4g in the writers room they're like yeah let's call it a 4g <laughs> we and we really pushed for that like because for me it was like a normal part of my 20s uh but like every time i brought it up to my straight friends at least they were all shocked like what like, what that's a thing they couldn't believe it and for me like i enjoyed seeing that on television because i know that that's a reality for many many gay men so like i wanted to normalize it again again there's that word again but like i, I did in the back of my head think like i need to worry about it like not only for like the straight audiences, but my parents specifically who would be watching it. But you know, I got past, I got past that because I know that the message is big, right? The goal is worth it. And so I just told myself, hey, you just gotta stop thinking about the audience and just start thinking about what TV that I myself would want to see. And so I created the television show that I wanted to see, including the 4G. Yeah. I love you know what? Straight people are more queer than they think. They, they're very uh. I wanted to put that on TV by having a straight guy being pegged because I'm like, oh, come on, straights, you're assy too. Everyone's assy. Shut up. You know, like, and so that, but that would also brown, brownness in our, you know, Latina community. It's, it, there's the stigma, da, da, da. But so, and so it was dedicated to a brown um, straight and queer community, the, the whole show, but, but like showing it. And also there was like, we, um, and we thought about this cause my, most of my writer's room was Brown and queer, you know? Um, so, and that, that matters, the discussions that you get to have, like we had, um, these queer, I we had an Oscar Wilde and, uh, uh, like puppet and a Frida Kahlo. And sometimes when I was trying to describe, oh, cause we were so thorough about the type of sex all the time, you know, uh, we, we had these, monitos that we would, you know, um, uh, play with. And um, because it mattered, because so many times anatomically, like it has not, like that's not, that who who shot that, you know? Um, someone who just watches porn or something, especially for like female um, bodied people sometimes. Um, but like, uh, but like then we had little things for our like queer community, like, like, like um, Emma's um, short nails. She's a femme top. And then we proved and like, like you have to notice that though. Like you have to know that, or when they're about to really get down, uh, Nico and Emma, she stops there in, the, in the public bathroom. She washes her hands. Cause she just threw out trash. That's just, you know, like how we have sex. And so like, that was important to show even more maybe than the actual sex or maybe not, but, um, <laughs> but, it, but that's dedicated to 
us, the brown queers that haven't seen that. But then there's also has to there also has to be like a um, another layer for the dominant culture, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and the dominant, you know, sexuality and gender, all that. Um, uh, we had this thing. This this is not about queerness, but the the Selena. Um, beginning at the at the, the very and the pilot and to us as soon as we heard that bitty bitty bomb bomb it, it was it was like a, a cultural shorthand for something right but then you're watching the two daughters dance with their mom you're gonna get it if you don't know selena which why don't you know selena but <laughs> so like it it, it 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 like you do have to sometimes work on on two levels you're like this is for you this is good for you for us and also for everybody else you know like i do i do have i we do have to uh keep thinking about that especially because we i um and i know i keep going back to um ethnicity and um and culture but um we would not put um how do you say when you uh, uh the subtitles we, we i was like no and people are going to speak spanish when they speak spanish if you go to Boyle Heights, that's what you're going to live. And you should feel like if you go to Boyle Heights, you know? Um, so it, it, uh, it, that's important too, to not also not cater though. Like, so, um, and that, that's not so much the queerness. We didn't shy away from it, but it um, also, we did center um, queerness in a more positive way, way. That was where the like um, emotional relationships were happening and all the ass eating and pegging and blah, 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 whatever was happening over here with the straight couples, just to be like, listen, this is just how we see the world. This writer's room, you know? I learned so much from Vita. Everybody does. It's such a great show. I, oh, I think it's interesting to think about the, um, you know, the, the, you know, I've been raised on, uh, you have to have like the, every guy entry into the story, which usually translates as the cis straight white guy that's set, you know, centered in the story. And I think those days are leaving us and that centered means centered. And, you know, I'm, when I worked on um, Everything's Gonna Be Okay, you know, several of the actors are on the autism spectrum and there's many LGBTQ uh, people within the community. And we were doing a talk about that and, um, you know, the stigma doesn't carry. So if you're in love with somebody, it doesn't mean all of these social stigmas. It means you love that person. And I think as we map stories, I mean, I have a friend who watched Pose and decided to transition. They're not from ballroom. They're white. They grew up in t- Texas and a you know, Christian family. They did mushrooms and watched Pose and decided that they were trans. And it was, uh, <laughs> but it was really uh, their humor that added that part. It was, it was a profound thing because it showed this chosen family. It showed uh, hope in the middle of all of this, you know, it, you know what was seeming to be such a, only trauma, only death, and you know, uh, and, and terribleness. It's instead, it showed this, this, these bonds and how strong they are. But we work in a society where I can show anything around violence on TV, but there's an essay on what I can show around sex. Uh, I had a scene for where around one of the characters who's autistic playing autistic, and, and uh, it's around consent, and it's around. It was a really amazing scene to get to direct, but I couldn't show. Uh, thrusting I couldn't show somebody having an orgasm I couldn't I was like what am I showing (laughs) like the ceiling I don't know it just become and then we found a way to you know get more coverage but it is just a sign of how our society is so repressed and that you know I think the audiences are much smarter they're ready they're I think the more we show the more we map the more people will be able to find their way through that and um I think um it's just the, the social stigma that keeps that speaks to the power we have though right like let's not forget that this 
we can change perception. You just gave us an example. And that's really powerful because, and there's been studies, like if you follow Ellen, um, when she, when she came out 10 years later, legislation changed. Like we, it's, uh, we have a responsibility to show ourselves fully accurately and, and, and in a complicated way. And, and I think, I mean, when we do, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful story uh, to be, it's like permission, right? And, 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 and proof. Oh, I exist. I exist. You know, yeah, I no, think it's it's really not. true. And that, you know, I think everyone, every single person who has power should go all the way back to 2000. I don't know what it was, 2000 something uh, and watch Kinsey because that movie says it sums it all up. And I think like what Tanya said about straight people being way more, they're queer. I'm sorry. They're all queer. Everybody's queer. Everybody has their little shit that they want done to them. I don't care what you said, you're baloney and it doesn't matter. But that movie always reminds me that at the end of the day, we're all sex, sex beings, love beings, you know, we're humans, like, and we all have, a, the scale is the scale. Yeah. And you fall wherever you fall on it. And why are we judging one another about whatever, kink or not kink or vanilla or this or boy or girl or both or trans why i don't yeah. i just will never yeah i know listen i've had some straight boyfriends back in the day that wanted some things so, <laughs> okay i think we all know what i'm talking about it says it's such a spectrum is all i was gonna say like i, I did a movie yeah. where parsons is playing straight, uh, you know, and uh, Claire is playing his wife and Octavia Spencer is playing a lesbian. And I just wanted to next level and my friend is playing, who's trans is playing a therapist. Uh, and, but, you know, really uh, for Jim to play somebody who's in the role being accused of not being man enough and for Claire to play somebody who's being like hard hitting, um, uh, it is challenging the Hollywood system that says men are supposed to play strong, women are supposed to not be angry. And, and those are so active. I just was shocked at how active they were until it just challenging them. That yeah. yeah and what's great is in all your shows when you go against that or just make it a point it it educates everybody i think and it is it helps progress things whether it's a little step or a big step you know it's all there um brian i want to ask you with with love victor from season one to season two you know season one was so much about victor just just saying the words i'm gay so since season two is coming very soon what what changes as far as what we see with him and do we see a, more of a sex life and as he gets more comfortable with it can you talk about that a little bit you know it's, it is interesting that that whole first season is really a coming out story i i don't think i would have predicted before coming on that it was going to be that long of a journey and i and i i fully get it when when people are like i'm i'm overcoming out stories aren't we past this in the year 2021 and I, I kind of had to go on my own journey about that too, because I feel like, um, you know, just seeing the fan response to it, there is just a really wide variety of experiences with this, where for some people it's like, yeah, it's 2021 now it's, it's like no big deal. But then for other people in different parts of the country, it's this huge deal where nobody is out in their high school and uh, they'll be completely socially ostracized. And, so I think there was value in that. Yeah, absolutely. It was more fun to write season two, though. It's about a gay character acting in his own best self-interest as opposed to constantly putting on this mask of like, oh, I do, you know, traditionally masculine things. I am going to date a woman. I, you know, all these um, sort of 
things we do as young people to try to uh, hide a little bit. And here's a character who is fully willing to be seen and now grappling with the things that maybe more like adults in the LGBT community deal with about their own perceptions of their masculinity versus femininity, how much of their self has been based on an attempt to hide who they are. And like, is there a change coming within them? Um, sex life. Yeah, there's definitely like a little bit more of that this season. You know, you were asking about, do we consider our non-gay audience as we, we come up with these storylines? And for me, um, on our show, the restraint that we show is generally about it being a teenage audience, not about it being a straight audience, right? So we don't, we don't want anything to feel gratuitous or overly sexualized. There's a lot of shows about high school, like teen shows on like HBO, for example, where like everybody's having sex all the time. They curse all the time. Is that like, that was not my high school experience? Um, even though I think there's value in those shows, I would like to watch them. I think they're exciting. That's just not what our show is. Um, so we show restraint in that manner, but I don't think it makes sense to try and like straightify your queer attempt to broaden your audience, right? Like, I think if you start trying to tell a story for everybody, you're telling a story for nobody. And the more specific and authentic you are about like the LGBT experience, I think the more exciting the story is. And weirdly, counterintuitively, the more relatable it is for a broad audience. The, the awkwardness of that first sexual experience everybody felt some, some, some kind of awkwardness in their first sexual experience. So like, I, I think, I think being specific and accurate is actually um, the way to go. And I also think the gayer you make the story, like the, the better it is. Like, I, I think straight audiences, like the gayer, the better, like you, you watch Queer Eye and the breakout characters on that and the kinds of LGBT characters that, that sort of hit in mainstream culture and and people are people are ready for bold and super queer and um, I, I don't think people are afraid of that. Well, and the I one thing it. great about Love Victor because I've seen some of season two is you'll see how people react to it. Um, you'll see how Victor's parents react to the news and that sort of thing. And so it's not the, the experience isn't just through Victor's eyes. It's through a, a lot of other eyes. A lot of them straight people. So yes, you, we le we dumped the coming out story on the parents. Let them grapple with it. Now he's just like living his life and figuring out like, how do I have sex? I don't. I've never seen it before on TV and film because I'm a gay person. How do I? Who's supposed to do what to whom? Nobody tells you this when you're you know a gay person. You're you're 16, um, and those are the sort of stories we we delve into in season two. Yeah. Um. As as far as the queer gay goes, just to keep it on topic. What needs to happen next? What can the queer gays do to get us to whatever the next step is? I don't know what the next step is, but we talk about what we see, what we don't see, and what messages we're trying to get out there. What do you guys see as the next step? Because we've already broken through so many different, I don't, taboos is probably not the right word, but different things that you didn't see 10 or 20, 30 years ago when we were growing, when I was growing up for sure. But what what is next? Um, anybody yeah. have thoughts on there? I have a thought. Um, just the more fully centered off of, you know, what you were just saying, you know, in terms of um, who gets to tell the coming out story, that's queerness is often told through such a white lens. So is trans experience. And so the stories are so different. You know, my friend Andrew on did Spa Night and, you know, just trying to cast um, for that role in the culture, uh, you know, it was really a whole different process and that 
there's so many different stories and the more centered, the more that we look at our stories as a lens on society and the ways that we see the cracks in the facade that benefit everybody, you know, the ways that binary doesn't really work, you know, like black and white thinking. And I think that that, that would be the next level is to just continue that where it's, it's centered so that it's, it's no longer niche, you know, lives are no longer considered niche. They're actually this really valuable lens that everybody would benefit from because of the perspective and that it's just viewed more in that way. Um, would be one thought that I have. Okay. Anybody more. want to add to that? This is Josh. Can I just jump in real quick? Um, yeah. Like my goal as as a deaf gay person is to what I like like what I want to say is like I want to gender hop and I want to time travel. I want to put deaf characters in like in every every gender and every time period because I know that we've we've always been around. But you wouldn't know it from what you read in history books, or you wouldn't know it from watching many of the television shows that have been made. So I feel like it's my goal now to go back in time and go into the future and just create characters that I know have always been there. Yeah, that's a good one, by the way. Yeah. Like, well, if you look at Batwoman, Javicia Leslie is playing a lesbian superhero. And, you know, I'm, I'm friends with her. And so I'm like, what? Awesome. You know, you know, and I just think more of what Josh is saying. We just see, you know, we're everywhere. And why does it have to only be that this person is in this scene, in this thing, whatever? Why does it have to be about that? And again, just to go back to Nova in Queen Sugar, she's just her. She's just a woman who lives in this town. She's doing her thing. She happens to be actual, you know, big deal. Like, I always say that that's when people are like, are you an activist? I'm like, well, you know what my activism is? I'm just going to be me. <laughs> yeah. And you do what I say, whatever you want, but I am going to be boldly who I am. And I think if we do that with our storytelling, which is sometimes scary, right? You, you Like what Silas was saying earlier, or uh, sorry, Brian was saying earlier is that, you know, it's not everyone's ready for it, but I don't care. <laughs> Yeah. I'm sorry, get, get over yourselves. And I'm, I'm not trying to be sensitive. The black community, one of the reasons I think Ava dropped this year's storyline in is because, you know, there is a lot of heavy duty masculinity and toxic masculinity. And if you're a gay person, period, in that world, there's still a lot of old school thinking. And so she's trying really hard to bring in like, why? Why do we have to care? Why can't this person just be what they are and, um, and be boldly that way? One of the best things you guys did with Nova, and I noticed this just as a viewer, is whenever she did enter in another relationship, it wasn't about, oh, now she's with Calvin. And then before she was with the woman, that's not the story point. It's just she's in this relationship now, then she's in this one. And I thought that spoke volumes to viewers that maybe don't know bisexual people or don't quite understand it. Mm -hmm. Not saying anything said so much. Yeah. I thought. Yeah. Um, anybody want to add to the, um, the, what we were talking about, Tanya? Just as far more. As what's next? It, it's like yes ending Josh um, more. Uh, I do. I there. You know, yes, we, we send there. There's there. We, we all have had queer shows here, but more and also centering BIPOC identities in, in them. Um, just because if you look, if you look out there, we're still look what's happening in Florida. Look what's happened to our trans women. Look at, we're still under, so like it, we haven't shifted as much as we think we have. We're still under threat. And so like 
uh, those stories of, and I, sorry to use the term you don't like, Josh, but like to, to normalize, to, I hate that when we talk about like also immigrants, let's humanize immigrants. Why do we need to? But in this freaking country, we do. Yeah. It seems like it. So, but, but like few, uh, future queer stories um, in the past, it's true. We've been there. We've been there. And also it's all coded in history, right? It's like, Boston marriage or whatever, like whatever they've been saying about us, like they lived the rest of their lives together. And it's like, they were queer. Everyone was queer. Always look at those hairdos. Not kidding. But like it, it, that like to, you know, one of the things I have in my slate um, is this like pe- queer Peaky Blinder, like late 1800 San Francisco pistol in the corset thing that is like, we've been there and we've been loving each other too. You know? So like, it's like, um, I, I'm I'm with Josh, like, but I want more, like, like to take up the the percentage that we make up of the population in Hollywood, you know, in content. Okay. Oh, can I just yes and to that real quickly? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I really, yeah, I feel like that we're kind of always been in the future. I think any anybody marginalized, we're always in the future, and so uh, there's this timelessness. And and Emily Dickinson is another great example. She was, she's like one of the you know prominent poets that changed language around this loss during the civil war, but she never left her town. And so, you know, these, these lenses and these perspectives are so uh, hot and fun and exciting and, and, and just really amazing. We live off the culture. We are standing on the shoulders of all of this that has, has yet to be discovered. And so um, all of the code reading and, you know, all of that is just um, exciting. So I think, yeah, there's so much more, there's the future of the past and, you know, both at the same time, it's just exciting for storytelling. I love it. Well, I'll just ask all of you to keep doing what you're doing, please. I love it as a viewer. I love it as a journalist. I think it's all so important. And thanks for just being here today and sharing all your thoughts on the queer gaze. And thank you to ATX Television Festival for having us. This is so much fun. We could we could talk for another hour or two, I think. Don't you guys agree? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much. And you guys continue enjoying the festival. Thank you for listening to ATX TV's original series, The TV Campfire. To watch these panels and more, please visit youtube.com backslash ATX TV. For details on the festival, go to atxfestival.com. And information on our membership program can be found at atxfestival.com backslash membership. Follow us at ATX Festival on all social media. As always, please rate and review. We appreciate each and every one of you for listening, and a simple click or brief comment can help us grow and have other TV lovers like yourselves find us. Feels like enough information, right? Yep. Till next time, keep watching TV.